Blog Talk Radio. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Creasy! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. Coach Chuck Creasy, and every week on the Yellow Ball Network, and thank you, J.P. Weber, and the Yellow Ball Network, and folks, go to his We Coach Tennis Facebook and website if you want to get some great stuff on and keeping up with the rest of the tennis coaches and what's going on out there. What a great uh, thing he has going there, and uh, thanks a lot, J.P., for all you've done for tennis there. Also, Jason Haynes and the UR Tennis Network. Jason Haynes, uh, we continue to think about you, and our prayers go out to uh, your son and to you out there in, in Texas. But thank you for starting your Tennis Network, and uh, I'm forever grateful. And so is so is Coach John Denise, whose program is every Thursday, and the many many uh, programs that we've brought to you on the UR Tennis Network over the last five years. We're coming up on five years, folks, if you can believe it. I think it's June 2nd. We're coming up on a five-year anniversary already for the uh, American Tennis Program. I'm Coach Chuck Creasy, and unbelievable that I have been able to be in tennis these this many years and to go to work every day. Actually, it's not work. Any of you who are coaches, and if you're inspired to work with young people, this is not work. You go, you go in, and you, you, you it, It's tough at times. It rips your heart out sometimes, but in the end, it's a labor of passion and, and uh, something we all love doing. My, my website is uh, chuckcreasy.net. K r i e s e dot net. Chuckcreasy. K r i e s e dot net. You can get all the programs over the last five years, and also, folks, you can uh, uh, check out you know, the writings, the books, and the other other things. But um, anyhow, look, I we always say the job American tennis for you to stand up, speak out, say those things that need to be said, and please, please, please do that and have have the fortitude to do that, have the uh, 
do it in a classy way, but we've got to turn the tide here. And then there's some great things happen. There's some good things happen. Of course, we've got wonderful people like our guest today, uh, Coach uh, Mark Reardon. But uh, I want to get to Mark here in a second. But uh, we've got great people out there who all are in love with tennis. And uh, it's uh, by far the best sport out there. I was telling somebody the other day, it's getting to be like when you give tennis lessons like uh, piano lessons or ballet or something, it's, it's getting tougher and tougher to get to go to college, and it's it's getting tougher and tougher to see if you have a future something in it. But when we so we all started out, we started out just because we love the game, and uh, we do have to solve some problems. I think we've gotten too sophisticated, and we've got too many systems out there. We need incentives, not in systems. But we're all in this together, and we are all uh, fighting this battle, and we're all guardians of our sport, the sport of tennis. So stand up, speak out, and say the things need to be said. If you stay professional and don't address people, address issues, nobody can find fault. We want you to do that. And I want to get right in here and try to get uh, get things going with our guest today. Uh, Mark Reardon. Mark Reardon is one of the absolutely most respected coaches and teachers in the South, but uh, definitely in the state of South Carolina. And I've been uh, fortunate to know Mark for many years, but he's been coaching for 40 years, and now he's up in Illinois. He's gone from the South uh, down here up to um, managing many, many coaches in, in a in a program up there where I guess Mark you got to turn a profit or you don't keep a job is that right I've got you in the line don't I Mark? I'm here, I'm here. Yeah. Uh, and get okay. to be on the program with you Chuck uh, yeah. I'm glad this is the sort of program where it's like we can just chat whenever we're uh, we're sitting on the back porch somewhere so it's kind of nice uh, yeah it is question uh, the, Go ahead, what's going on up here is is so different than what I have done uh, down south, when I worked my whole life in the southern section, uh, either at country clubs, racket clubs, or uh, public facilities. Uh, and the deal there was just, you know, jump in there, do your job, uh, create create players, and, and try to turn them into good citizens as well as good tennis players. Uh, but up here uh, in the indoor industry is so different. Uh, you got to crunch the numbers a little bit more, and I, uh, that's one of the things that I am learning. Uh, actually, just now learning a year later after having gotten here uh you know i think we we all as tennis pros uh i hate to hang this moniker on on all of us but i mean i think we're a little bit of a cocky or arrogant breed in that we think we have an answer to just about everything uh getting here i was humbled immediately by by the fact that i just don't know much about the indoor industry so it's been it's been fun to actually learn uh that i don't know as much as i thought i did yeah i mean tennis has always been an individual and one of the pet peeves I've always had is that um, until you get to trust someone deeply, you really don't recommend another person that deeply. I, and it, we don't help each other out enough. Uh, it's a combative sport. Players don't help each other that much. And then <laughs> the, the joke always is like, say you're doing a great job with somebody somebody's kid and uh, you're Mark Reardon up there and you're working with somebody and they're starting to win a lot. And a parent will say, well, who's your, 
who's your son or your daughter working with? They'll go, oh, some guy, Margaret, I got to go over here and get me a Coke. You know, they don't pass on the good news of helping somebody out. I've always been for the law of reciprocities, Mark, and that as coaches, we need to give away what we got, and you're going to get back tenfold. And that people who understand that really do flourish in this profession. But we've got to be wide open and help each other out. We got to stick together, you know. You know, right now. But let, let me let me ask a quick question, okay? I, I want to get on to sure. the topic here. Um, last week, I had Coach Randy Blumendahl on the program, and and pretty much he's been in high performance programs. He coached twenty years collegiately. And everything, and something sticks out what he said last week, Mark. He said, we're not treating tennis like a sport anymore. We're treating it like an after-school activity or just an activity. We've dumbed it down. And the reason I wanted you on the program today so much was because you've seen every aspect of it. You're up there now. You're working in, you know, the indoor parts and you've got to turn a profit you've got to put the turn the lights on every morning and put the heat on in the winter time there and if you don't a lot of people are going to be out of jobs but at the same time you've worked very hard over a period of years to develop top players here in the south and uh you know it's just a completely different ball game there and and you know we we, we absolutely the the usta crunches numbers they crunch numbers. They're always worried about how many people are playing, where's the game going, and I, I guess that's all good. But in trying to market something, we cease we we cease to inspire the very base of people that we we want, you know, our kids to play. Could you walk us through a little bit, like okay, the challenges you have now, say, in trying to program, do programming for kids and everything like that as opposed to maybe what you had here in the South. Not one is better than the other, but just maybe you could make a comparison and talk to people about the cha- some of the challenges we have, and then I'll, I'll ask you some other questions. Uh, and, and I tell you what, let me ask it as a broader topic first, and then I'll, I'll try to delineate between the two. That might be a better way to go for me. Okay. I think uh, what you spoke of earlier about uh, being treated more as an activity rather than a sport is is a huge comment because um, as we as we teach players to to play the game, you know, someone comes in kind of new at at eight or ten or nine or whatever the age is, and you're trying to bring them along. Certainly, you can't treat that player the same way you do someone who's been getting after it since that age at fourteen. How you treat them at fourteen is certainly different. How you treat them at sixteen and eighteen changes, but I think overall. We we are not uh, we're probably not tough enough on the kids. Um, when I first got here, we we didn't we had very little in terms of uh, and you hate to call it high end or high performance, but we did we had very few kids who were getting after it, who were working very hard and weren't thin skinned. Uh, and my point here is not that we need to be able to talk tough to the kids, and that's what that's what it's about. But we treat it like you said as an activity. And not the same way uh, folks who go through a football program at a high school, a basketball program at a high school, those kids don't get their heads rubbed and or they're not, they're not uh, treated with kid gloves for fear that they might, they might, they might stop coming. You know, they're, it's kind of like you're going to suck it up and get after it or you can go sit on the sideline. 
Well, you can't Party treat everybody quit. like Party that in quit. tennis. Yeah. But, but we, you know, to get to the upper echelon, to get to that higher level, you have to be able to get down to the who shall, who will, and say, it's my way or the highway on this kind of thing. Here's where I'm trying to get you to. And at the end of a tough practice, you can tell them, look, I don't want to beat you up all practice and fuss at you about this one thing, but here's the mandate. We're going to do it this way. This is what's taught. You know, I've learned that this is what it's going to take to get better, and you can either trust me or not. Um, but we're, we're not willing to do that as much as we used to, I don't think. I think if I look at it across the board, we don't do it that way as much simply because we're fearful of losing the student. Um, part of that is tied to there's very little free hit time. Even when kids want to uh, come out and, and hit balls, for the most part, a lot of it has been set up for them, and it's, you know, I'm just going to kind of manage what they do, but here's the fee for them coming out and hitting balls with such and such. We don't just go out and just ball like we used to. We don't go out and show up at the club or show up at the basketball courts and just waiting for your turn to get on the court and hit because we love it and we love competing and we're just going to figure it out as we go. Um, everything's organized, and I think that takes away so much individuality. You don't you don't learn how to be an individual. You don't learn how to be self-sufficient as much. Um, and I, I think that's harder. Now, even up here, let me delineate a little bit, even more difficult at the indoor industry, at least that's my, my feeling a year in, uh, certainly not a, an expert on the indoor industry yet, but, you know, a kid can't just come hang out at the club and then kind of slide onto a court because it might cost them 26 or 28 bucks an hour uh, to get some hit time. And by and large, if the club's successful, those hours have been pre-booked almost a year in advance. And so a court laying fallow or laying open probably just doesn't happen that much except maybe in the summer. Mm-hmm. And in the summer, they don't need you, the court time. So You can't be a gym rat. It's hard to be a gym rat is what you're saying in tennis. Yeah, you can't. We, can't, we, we used to call it we used to call it hangout tennis, you know, when the kids would show up at the club or at the facility, and they just were in your face all summer long. And it's like, well, Mark, where are you going? I said, I'm going to get something to eat, man. And if you want to go with me, jump in the car. We'll go get something to eat. And then when you get back, then they leap on the courts again. But they're just there all summer long just doing it to death. But learning how to compete on their own and getting comfortable with uh, – you know, it hacked me off that this guy on the other side of the net beat me today. So tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to even the score. I'm going to get out there again, and we're going to get after it. And that sort of competitiveness was um, was approved of rather than when these kids try to avoid playing one another. The parents tend to help a little bit, and I don't want to you know, couch all parents in this category, of course. But where they're given uh, – they're enabled – to not have to go play or not have to go hit with these other kids because they beat them the other day. And everybody wants to hang on to their spot in the overall pecking order without just grinding away, which is how you get better. Wow. Now you said so many good things here. I mean, but the first thing that comes to thought is any of the coaches out there, parents out there, if you could develop a hangout system where there's one court it's a hangout court or two. I don't know. You have to look at your facility, but you've got to have something where you've got a challenge court going all the time. And I, I know, I don't want to get into a bunch of my stories, 
But that's exactly – we had one court at our city park, and you got to play on that court if you were good enough, and people would call winners. Literally, you would be waiting for winners six, six sets down. And as a kid, we would go yeah. over on the back courts and hack around on these old crack courts, but there was this one dirt court where all the old buzzards, all the old players played, and you would call winners. And you'd get on there, and somebody would slap you around in about 18 minutes. You'd be done, but you got to play on that one court. So that's what we're talking about. So hangout court, gym rat court. I mean, you know, you said something else, Mark, that we often refer to our players. I heard somebody up east say the players are clients. Isn't that bad? I mean, that's a bad thing right there when you call somebody a client or a customer, I think, you know, and, and I just think it just, uh, that would be, could you imagine going to the classroom and you say, you are my customers or my clients? And I, I think that's where maybe we could go uh, in a different direction with that. Any quick thoughts there? Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly I think verbiage and, and how we refer to people, things, uh, programs certainly makes a huge difference. But you, you, But as soon as you start talking about client, then there's a monetary uh, uh, thing attached to that that you don't want to lose. Um, I mean, you, you, as a client, this person represents $48 every week, and then they come to a clinic twice a week, don't want to lose that client. Well, you know, we the deal is you want to provide the student, the, the player, uh, the best opportunity you can for whatever it costs. I mean, they, they you owe them that. But uh, – you know, you got to reach that that balance between, uh, you know, keeping them coming, but you can't lie to them. You can't you can't act like, yeah. well, yeah, if you keep doing this, we're gonna get we're gonna get better, and you're gonna keep improving. Yeah. You got to you got to be willing to look at them in the eye and say, what you're doing is not enough. Uh, I don't care whether you come to clinic or not, but you are not playing twice a week with someone on your own and figuring out how to compete. I mean, how are you gonna learn how to compete without competing? Say it with me without competing. Uh, and we don't, exactly. we don't, I don't think we compete. I don't think we compete enough. I, you know, as a, as a, you know, nobody likes hearing personal stories because, but I was never a great tennis player. I was never a great basketball player, but I learned so much by playing basketball as a kid. You know, you, you're waiting for what we used to call it, wait for the ride where your three or your five guys would get on the court, uh, next up. But, uh, you know, because you're out there by yourself, no parents, no coach, you're just doing it. You learn to act, uh, interact with people who are strong-willed, who are pushy, uh, and who will take advantage of you at a moment's notice. You have got to get where you understand how to how to interact in that environment. When all that you do is pay for hit time, you can't learn how to interact in that environment. It's uh, there you, go. you know, whenever you get. When you get out there one on one, you got to be okay with whatever it is that's going on. Mark, and I, let me I've heard you there. say this differently, but, I, but what I tell kids all the time, it's not a question of whether there's going to be stress out there. It's how you're going to respond to it. Amen. Mark, let me jump in there real quick. Uh, just a real okay. quick yeah. thought out there, coaches. How about a gym rat court or a winner's stay in, winner's stay in court? You know, have it someplace where. Members are saying, "Who's who's high on the totem pole here?" Winners, that I, I think Mark right away. That's 
one of the best things. Tom Landry, the great football coach at Dallas, has a famous quote. He said, a coach's job is to get people to do things they don't want to do in order to have things they want to have. And if you approach it like we're out here to save a customer, you you can't get that done. And I got a wonderful story to tell, but I don't want to – I'll wait until later in the program I got to tell you a good one there. But but, – so, Mark, um, let's go to the red, orange, green stuff. Now, this was supposed to be the – look, I'm not going to hack on the USTA again, folks. I'm not going to just run them down, but this red, orange, green stuff, and I wanted to start by saying since 1990s, the early 90s, when we started using all the high-tech rackets, people started figuring out about these super wide-body rackets and all this. Kids couldn't keep the ball in the court, but I'm telling you, Mark, I used to prop the net up, use chalk, get the courts more narrow, and I used dead balls for practice so the guys could eat 20 and 30 and 40 rallies in the court and get their rally tolerance longer. But then they came out with the red-orange-green thing, and this was the savior of everything. Mark, in the state of South Carolina, we only got 40 kids signed up for the for the green ball tournaments. And we don't and, – and, and so – I want you now. Don't let me lead you into this, but talk to us about the red, orange, green thing and your experience. You know, you've been at every level, but your experience with with this. Um, what What are your thoughts, real quick? And is it going somewhere? Is it Is it going to work out? What? Um, I am a big fan of using the different color balls as a teaching tool. Big fan, and uh, I'll elucidate real quick. You know, if the kid's three feet tall and the ball's bouncing high early on, it'll mutate their stroke. They won't they won't be able to develop good strokes early. I think having a lower bouncing ball, a slower bouncing ball, that you use as a tool to teach kids to swing better, to learn how to rally, keep the ball going longer, I think is absolutely wonderful. My feelings about mandates about uh, you've got to play with this color ball for this number of tournaments before you can play this tournament and this tournament or this tournament, even if even if we got proof that shows that that is valuable, even if we had proof that showed that is valuable, human nature says if you tell me how to do something, uh, you know, just and you've got to do it. Well, I'm going to resist, and I'm I'm not even a stubborn person. Uh, you know, I'm I'm fairly receptive. But, you know, if my mom and dad told me that, you know, Mark, you're going to keep your hair cut above your ears, and if it touches your ears, this is what's going to happen, well, heck, I want my hair down my back. Uh, Just because whenever someone makes you do something, you naturally resist. My feeling is that if on this, you know, know, red, orange, yellow, green progression, if somebody wants to do it, that's fine. Have at it, but a mandate, uh, you have to do this many tournaments before you can progress to this. I don't like that so much. Uh, the the thing that I'd like to see is let parents, let coaches make the decision about where where the kids go, uh, what level, what sort of tournament they play, uh, and they're going to do what's best for them. Uh, you know, there's uh, and this this turns into a, a broader picture. You know, it's just like anything with government. You know, it's like if government makes a decision for me that I didn't really get to be involved in the process, it's kind of offensive. Uh, 
you know, if if I get to be involved in the process, the decision making, then I'm a whole lot happier with with the end result. Even if I mess it up, it was my opportunity to mess it up, uh, and that's just kind of how I feel about it. Uh, you know, again, I'm like you. Yeah, I, I, there's there are things that the USGA does that I'm not crazy about, but at the same time, you know, I've made mistakes in how I brought kids up too. I mean, there's uh, I'm not gonna act like I'm error free in how I how I raise and or train kids um but you know the deal is i want the opportunity to do what i think is best for the child without having a mandate as to when they can go to this level i could not agree more with everything you have said and i look 10 and under tennis i've been a college coach for years and 47 years i've been coaching and yeah i've had some 10 and under kids i have no skin in the game until they said mandate mandate you must do this. I go, whoa, wait a minute, United States of America. This is American tennis, folks. This is not Russian or European socialist tennis. You guys don't have to go that <laughs> You guys don't have to say that. I will and I, I'm going to. But, but um, Mark, you're exactly right on. And here is the bigger thing. As a coach and coaching high-performance kids, you, myself, and others, Know that the finishing touch is you want that player's independence. Listen, coaches and players and parents. In the end, you want them to have ownership over their craft, independence. You can get compliance out of someone, but until you get enthusiasm of the heart and inspiration and I, I, I told a, uh administrator one time, you can do it that way, but that doesn't inspire anyone. And USTA, you can continue to do this. You guys, look, you come across like a bunch of know-it-alls, a bunch of, you know, oh, you guys are so smart. You got, we had, I had a good friend that said, they told him, hey, we want you to take our course on learning how to do this. He said, "You guys need to be taken from me. I've coached for thirty years. Get the heck out of get out of the room." And and the point is, when as long as USTA and your stuff out there, guys, is was informational, we were good. But the minute you said, "Hey, we're smart and you're not," hey, take a hike, take a hike. That's all you have to, all you have to say there. And again, it's it's uh, boy, could we go into this for for a lot? But Mark, uh, you know, right now, it's, it's obvious we've got to get kids to fall in love with this sport. And um, it has to become it, – it has to – level two where you get the hook in the mouth or you get kids – look, we got plenty of kids that play tennis, but making tennis players is, is I think, where we want to go. Any quick things there? You're a parent out there. And they want what? What would you be telling them uh, when you get your kids into tennis? How should they go about it? And um, you know, you've already given some great ideas there. But we need to make tennis players. We got to get the hook in their mouths. Any quick thoughts there? Um, initially, yeah. Uh, I tell you, I read a book uh, years ago, and then I reread it uh, a year and a half, two years ago, called The Talent Code. Uh, 
Uh, and this guy goes, uh, the guy who wrote it, and I think his name was Daniel Coyle. I'm not really sure. I can't remember for correct, sure. Correct. Correct. But right. anyway, he went. He went to. He went to all the hotbeds of learning, whether it was learning how to play the violin or teaching uh, curriculum at school, tennis, baseball, basketball, wherever it was. He went to all the hotbeds to find out uh, what you know. What did all these places have in common? And I think he listed maybe five commonalities. But the first two were – the first one was ignition. In other words, an ignition just meant getting the kids pumped. I mean, having, having somebody on board who gets the kids jacked about what they're doing. Uh, and, and that person didn't necessarily need to be uh, a whiz in terms of knowing tennis, you know, that biomechanics, like, you know, all the biomechanical whiz kids who can talk about you know, elbow angle at this and this and this. It didn't have to be that person. It just needed to be somebody who got the kids pumped. They maybe came back just because, you know, they like being on the court with Mark. You know, it may not have been tennis is so great, but, heck, I like being on that with Mark. He kind of keeps me pumped. Um, and then it has to move up the food chain gradually rather than saying, here's where we are now. Then it's a, one massive leap. I think you have to bring them along in a manner that says, all right, so here's where we're going for this. And then before we go here, we, the commitment's got to be a little better. We we got to we have to coax them along, um, and then and then we get to the harsh reality. And the harsh reality, I, sh- I probably shouldn't express it that way, but we've got to get to to the place where we, where we fork over the truth serum, and it says if you want to play college tennis and you want to play at a D1 school or a a really good D2 school, here's what's got to happen. They've got to know. The parents got to know. Um, and, you know, in, the coaching alliance, I think, refers to that maybe as the, the, the triad, the parent, coach, uh, player triad, you know, where everybody's involved in the process. But somewhere along the line, you know, rather than getting a year and a half in with false hopes about where we're going, and then all of a sudden the kid just quits playing tennis because he didn't really know what the commitment was like, we got to let them know what the commitment's going to be somewhere early in the process if you're saying we want to play college tennis or we want to we want to take it to whatever the highest level we want to be as good as we can be and then let the chips fall where they may um, you got to tell them you, you you can't act like we got to keep the client happy until it's too late and and now you know three and a half four years into spending a lot of money on the kid and the kid's not even going to play college tennis because we did we didn't give them the reality check along the way on what it was going to take yeah I mean working for mastery in the sport but here but here's here's the thing the competition that you talked about um does this a lot i last week uh coach blumendahl was talking about and and i said the same thing when we, when we picked up tennis we would look and say listen this is something we could get as good as we want if we work hard wait a minute this guy, I can't play here. I'm going to hit on the backboard. Wait a minute. I can get better if I read this book. Hey, I can get better if I go, this is the kid I need to beat. And, uh, you know, so with, with, with that, you know, the kids, the kids are going to be naturally competitive. Most of them want very much the type of kids that are drawn towards tennis. You know, it's uh, the rivalries are important. And uh, they want to be able to do it on their own. And we've got to somehow, somehow, uh, you know, figure that one out. And, Mark, i got a commercial. Hang on. I, we'll be right back with Mark Reardon. I've got a minute, Mark. We'll be right back. 
And this is American Tennis. Okay, this is Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years' experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. Whether you care or not, 
he said, you know, you can you can get them with all that. Yeah, and then I trained this person and that person, and we've uh, yeah, they went on to get a scholarship at so and so. Whenever people are selling that, rather than than talking about the kid or making it about the kid, you know whether they care. Kids can tell whether you care or not, and that's that's probably one of the best things you know, in, just in conversation like you and I are having today. Uh, that Rob and I had one day, and he just said, Mark, he said, I don't care what the lesson looks like. He said, as long as the kids, you know, can tell that you care, they know that you care, he said, you're good at that point. And he said, if you need to learn something else about how you teach it, uh, you need to inspire them differently about how to pull a racket back, well, you can, I can call you. I can call Chuck Creasy. I can call whoever, and, and I can find out more information about that. But I can't change whether I care or not. So I mean, I think I think caring about the kid uh, is paramount. I mean, because parents can tell whether you care or not too. You know, Mark. Uh, about a year ago, JP Weber had Tim Wilkinson on his program, a Doctor Dirt, and I I bring this yeah. up every other week because I think this is incredibly important, and it goes contrary. It's against what USTA does now with their point system and. It's so mechanical how they now do everything computerized and this many points, and you're going to a blue L2 regional statewide JTL tournament, and nobody can tell what the heck is going on. Tim Wilkinson said something very revealing. He said, when I was a child, and he said, youngsters play for two reasons, rivalries and tournaments of heritage. And then he said, do you think that a kid would rather be ranked number one in the country or win Kalamazoo? Win Kalamazoo. Would a kid rather, would a player rather win Wimbledon or be ranked number one in the world, Mark? I mean, tournaments of win Wimbledon. Would a kid rather win Belgium, that tournament we have, or be number one in the state of South Carolina? Look, kids want tournaments of heritage. We have dumbed them down by putting them on a computer and trying to specify this is this value. Your tournament, your play. wait a minute, wait a minute. Think about what we do. The tournament you're playing this week, the tennis you're playing, only has this value. It is only an L1 or L whatever. Mark, I don't even yeah. understand the stuff. I don't know if the one is higher or lower. I think ITF. L1 is higher and L5 is lower. I think it might be the other way with USTA or something. But the point being, yeah. I've been in tennis 47 years, and I don't, I don't get it. Could you imagine a parent trying to figure out what in the heck are we going to here? And, you know, some of them sit down with their calculators, and they go, okay, all right, I got it, I got it. If Joe win, Joey wins the first round here, he gets two points. If he wins the first round over here, he gets five points. So let's go over to this one where you get more points. Well, you're telling the kid who wins in the first round uh, wins the first round of that other one, you're only playing a half as important a match, and it, it drives yeah. me crazy. I went to the I just recently went to a state uh, uh, a high school tournament and I watched. They had one A, two A, three A, four A, five A. It's like the kids their play is of different value. And so kids don't think that way. Adults get the heck off those computers, my golly. And, and you guys trying to make everything so fair. So anyhow, I start out by saying, what do you think about what Tim Wilkinson says 
about rivalries and tournaments of heritage. He said, Mark, he said also, he said, if somebody beat me, I would practice for a year to try to beat that kid the next time I played him. <laughs> I mean, so uh, just a few thoughts there. Um, I, you know, first and foremost, I am so glad I don't I don't have to work. I mean, I don't have to be the one in charge of coming up with a system that fairly uh, evaluates the level of of, of a player. Uh, you know, compared to 150 other players, because I I would have no clue. I, when when people start talking to me about, well, you know, the algorithm that they use, it's like I try to act like I know what an algorithm is, but but reality is I just really can't hang. I just I just I, I accept that what they're saying is the, the method used no, the mathematically. Did you ever hear that? An algorithm is uh, what an alligator that can dance or something like a you know understand. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. so, I don't know. We're both, about, <laughs> we're both but, about the but, same place there, man. Yeah. So. You know, competitively though, uh, if if beating if if my rivalry with Chuck Creasy as as a basketball player or as a tennis player never factors in. I mean, Chuck beat me last time in a in a uh, in a long three setter. Chuck beat me seven five at the end of a long three setter. Uh, you know, I want to beat you back. If 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 a scoring system, a ranking system, eliminates me wanting to get you back, and I know get you back does, isn't the best way to couch it, but that's the way no, it feels it's, it's, inside perfect. if you're competitive. If it eliminates uh, the need for me to get you back and now beat you, well, that's not a good thing. You know that 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 cuts the guts out of some of the competitiveness. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, I, I do see the value in in some tournaments being more important than others. But for the life of me, I, I don't know that I could come up with a, a, a way to to value uh, this tournament more than another without it being points or without you know, just, or just saying this. You know, if this time if I beat Chuck Creasy, it's one point. It's worth one point five more than it did. So even though you and I are one in one, I won the tournament that was worth one point five. I mean. I'm like you. It's kind of oh, after a little bit, it just gets it gets too too messy. I, I just remember thinking uh, it was maybe three or four months ago. I was talking to a dad who uh, who I taught you know I taught his child when I was in Augusta, uh, and he you know he was calling and he was talking to me about something. And as as the conversation evolved, uh, he said you know and, and right now you know he's 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 maxed out on the number of points he can get at a level three. And so now what we've got to do, and I realized he was the amount of time he was spending figuring out how his child could get more points rather than considering what can I do to, to help my child get better, uh, that the conversation yeah. had run away from improvement and had gone into strategically right. getting the most points. And, uh, and that, was, right. that part of the conversation was more important than he can't get his second serve in. Yeah, the point system is something that's got to go. USTA, dump it. I keep saying that, dump it, dump it. The um, well, just as, I've as let me turn the table here and throw this one your way. What do you think about the the UTR system? I think it has benefits and merit. Now, listen here. I've got to I got to explain this here. For years, I've been against 
ranking so many people so many times. And one one thing is you ought to have a ranking at the end of 2017, at the end of 2018, that takes in, and it's just like a whole semester's work in college or something like that. You, you We right. have because we can, we do. We do so many things just because we can, not that they're the right thing to do. So there's two there's way too many rankings, but when a kid's ranked, it used to be, and I'm sorry out there, youngsters or parents, but if you're ranked 278, you say, I was ranked 278 in the Midwest up there, and then I moved all the way to 205. That really, really does not help your case. It just means that, you know, you know you're sort of, you're not really up there in the top level. I, I, we, we tribute that you got a lot of points in this. You moved up. But really, that's bait is being used there. They throw that out as bait for uh, kids to try to move the rankings up. Now, likewise, we've had like six or seven coaches fired uh, this year already. Some very wonderful coaches, wonderful Coaches uh, for not winning enough, you know, Mark, in college now, if you win, it doesn't matter what you do. If you lose, it doesn't matter what you do. And that's the old saying that an old coach told me one time, but there's some good coaches gotten fired. And I blame the ITA, and I blame ranking so many teams. So one team was ranked like 42 or 44. Now people will say, well, that's not that bad. Well, this team is in a premier conference and they had a couple bad matches their ranking went down to the 40s their ad says that stinks you're out of here coach after a lot of years and you know so really the rankings i've always thought rankings are good for the top i'd say we ought to rank the top 30 kids in the state the top 50 kids nationally and then afterwards so your premier players get ranked, your top, very top. Then I would say in the United States from 50, everybody else, the rating I think is a good thing because then, hey, my rating is here and I'm working to get my rating up. And by the way, I just entered the rankings. I am 11.4 or whatever on the UTR. That sounds like a good idea. And guess what? I'm 45 in the country now. I finally made it into the rankings. I was in honorable mention back there, and I was mentioned alphabetically before. But the rank, see, so rankings don't have any merit. Now, let me let me add this real quick, Mark. Ideally, we'd sure. rank 25 kids, maybe 50. Then you'd have ratings for the next two or 300. The entry-level kids, I'm a very big proponent of the, um, of the GRIPS program. GRIPS program com gripsprogram.com that is a self-learning it's like karate belts the kids do it on their own in the entry level for tournaments anybody's ever used the grips program will tell you hands down because they do it on their own it's it's a wonderful program mark so that's a long answer okay. and i haven't done that i need i need to take a look at that program.com it's uh the kids, what it is, it's like karate belts. They have 11 different colors, and as the kids get better, they can put grips on their racket, and then you can keep their pictures up or something. Like Susie moved from the white grips up to the blue grips here, and you move their picture up, 
And then what happens when they achieve, like, third from the top, they can enter maybe uh, ratings then, you know. So the ratings and then the rankings, I think, only work. You know what, kids rank 551 just because you got a computer that counts that high. That's stupid. You know, it's just not good. It doesn't inspire anyone. So, uh, well, I mean, you know, and, Mark, and, and, and honestly, truth be known, a lot of kids will look at that, you know, and, and it's really more of an embarrassment that you got ranked 332. Oh. I'd rather just not yeah. even get ranked, you know. That's embarrassing to say, like, yeah. Yeah, I was so bad of all the kids that got ranked, I was like third from the bottom. You know well, look, I don't belong to the ITA, and uh, we won't. And I was asked recently, well, why? Well, they don't do anything for you. They have a ranking system. If we're ranked in the top 25 in the country, I will join. That will be my entry where I will join. Before then, maybe we'll get a different ranking system. Somebody else can put a good ranking. We had a coaches poll going a couple years ago. The coaches out there listening, you know, it's an embarrassment to be ranked when you're, oh, we got ranked. Well, if you rank 578 as a youngster, do not show a college coach. All you young kids out there want to play college tennis, do not show the national ranking unless you're in the top 90, probably. You know, if you because a coach is going to say, ah, you're 104 in the country, um, looks good, let me see your regional ranking. Oh, you're 10, wait a minute, I'm going to go to Zimbabwe and find me a player or France and find me a player in, instead. Uh, you know, if, if you're in the top, if you're top 80, 90 or something like that, Look, everybody, that's so hard to do if you know. But really, you'd be better off by saying, look, I'm high school champion of my county. While you're a champ, that's good stuff. And by the way, I'm number three in my state. That's good stuff. You know, and uh, so, Mark, I had one last thing I wanted to say. What do you think about this one? I've always said that as a child I played tennis to get three drugs. You ready for this one? I'm ready. Dopamine, dopamine, adrenaline, and endorphins. Dopamine, I got the buzz from hitting that ball, that sliced backhand sent chills up and down my spine with a wood racket. The adrenaline I got yep. from competing and, and the endorphins I got from training. How do you like that? I played for drugs. Mark. I like it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's a good lead in, you know, I mean when you say I played tennis because of the three drugs immediately you get your you get someone's attention i uh I, I like the you know questions like that that probe where someone can't just go away from the answer i told a a guy a bunch of years ago that actually the very first tennis lesson i had was from an old guy named charlie fortune and he asked me he said mark what do you think is the most important shot in tennis and so you know i went down the, the you know the litany of well first serve nope first volley uh no uh big forehand uh no and it's like, well, what is it? And he found he just looked looked me square in the eye. He said, "Mark, most important shot in tennis is the next one." Um, and and I said, "Oh, it was a trick question." And he said, "Until you recognize that that's not a trick question, you'll never be as mature as you need to be as a player." And I and it just hurt my feelings so much. Uh, but I've, I've I've told everybody that I've ever taught tennis to that ever since because it is it is so true. Which is, you know, the same thing. You know, it's like. If you can get their attention with the question, then you've got an answer that really describes what the scoop is. Then you you, you know you go a long way to getting them. 
Yeah, it really is. And we the tennis and sport is it's still the best sport ever invented. And uh it's plenty good to stand on its own merit and I just we think we need to be smart about how we go We got about two minutes here, Mark. You got any last things? I yeah, let me it's been fantastic. Let me let me Have throw something go ahead, go ahead. Go let ahead. Let me throw something at you. Uh because I, you know, and I think I I know the answer to this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you anyway. Who, who's your favorite coach in history? I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's basketball, baseball, tennis. Who's the, your favorite coach ever? In, in any sport. Any in, sport. In any sport. Probably yep. Lombardi, I would guess. Lombardi. Lombardi. Uh, growing up, growing up and knowing about him when I was a kid up up north, that was that was something. You know, but my gosh, of yeah. course, you know, the Johnny Wooden, the Lombardi. He's mine, for Bobby, sure. Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight. I, I love Bobby Knight's coaching, regardless. And uh, so those were those were the guys that you re, you remember, you know, so. Boy, so, if, if anybody listens to your, your program and puts any any value in, in what they heard me say today, uh Pick up a book by John Wooden, you know, one of the early books. You know, They Call Me Coach or The Wizard of Westwood, any of the early coach before books, uh, and just read it. I mean, you know, and I, I think if you read those books, you recognize, well, well God, this, this guy needed to be on my favorites list for sure, not, and not just because of what he accomplished, but by, because of who he was. They Call Me Coach was the first book I wrote or I watched or read when I was uh, – when I started at Clemson in 1975, what I am is God's gift to me. What I become is my gift back to God. Remember, he had quotes before everything. Wow. Another one in that book, that book was uh, live, uh, learn as if you'll live forever, live as if you'll die tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. Those, I mean, so that's we're talking well, forty years well, ago. I remember those quotes from that book. Well, yeah. Well, one one that I, I I quote back to the kids that I teach all the time. I said, well, you know, I didn't uh, I didn't get a chance to play so and so. And I said, one of one of John Wooden's great ones was, I will prepare, and perhaps my chance will come. And I thought, you know, there's no guarantees, but I will prepare, and perhaps my chance will come. That's beautiful. That's that's absolutely great. And Mark, uh, I, I cannot thank you enough, folks. Mark Reardon, please follow his career. Please follow him with with what you do. And Mark, keep up the good work of inspiring young people. In the end, this is what we're doing, and that's what you're doing. You know, you know for sure. And uh, you know, I, I absolutely cannot thank you enough for being on today. Thank you, Mark. Chuck. Absolutely a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. See you, buddy. We'll see you next week. Made in America. Born in a heartland. Raised up a family. A King James and Uncle Sam. He's got the red, white, blue, fine high on the farm. Semper Fi tattooed on his left arm. Spent a little more in the store for a tag in the back of his
very little to do with a win or loss. Thanks, Mark Reardon, for being on the program today. And, folks, we'll see you next week on American Tennis. Opinions stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual.